0: I started a blog, I called it Design Milk, it was a ridiculous name, it was super silly, and I just started writing about things that I liked that I was finding on the internet, and that just happened to be a lot of art and design.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. Today I'm talking to Clever co-founder Jamie Deringer. Separately from Clever, you probably also know Jamie as the founder of Design Milk, her other venture. Design Milk is the modern design platform that Jamie founded in 2006, which quickly became the go-to site for unique modern interiors, home furnishings, art, and architecture. Design Milk not only highlights emerging talent, but is also dedicated to making modern living effortless and accessible. In 2019, Jamie sold Design Milk and became chief creative officer of the new organization, which includes Design Milk Magazine & Shop, AHA Life, and Kaufman Mercantile now celebrating their 15th year anniversary it's no surprise design milk remains one of the most popular design magazines given jamie's keen eye love for design and expertise on design trends it is my pleasure to share this conversation with jamie who in addition to being a media badass is also a talented artist great mom and dear friend here's jamie
0: I'm Jamie Derringer, and I live and work in San Diego, California. I am founder and chief creative officer of Design Milk, co-founder and producer of Clever Podcast, and I'm an artist. And I do all of those things because I love them all, and I love to be creative, and I love working with really cool people.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Yes, really cool people like
1: me. Present company included. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it's no secret that I know you well, but I know there is also still a lot more to find out. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Tell me about where you grew up, your family dynamic, and what kinds of things fascinated that little brain in Jamie well, it was probably a big brain in Jamie Derringer's little skull.
0: (laughs) I grew up in southern New Jersey and I spent a lot of my weekends and summers at the shore. Super stereotypical. I was really independent. I was an only child until I was eight. My brother was born. He had some disability issues. And so I was on my own a lot. And so there was a lot of daydreaming and creativity and exploration. And I was super independent. So uh, I think that's kind of where all of that started. But I also had a really goofy and kind of quirky grandmom who used to take me to the art store and all kinds of other crazy places when I was younger. So I was exposed to to like a lot of art and crafts and stuff like that. Um, And I also had an artistic aunt. So she always had cool stuff around too. So I think those were like, some of the early exposures to like creative people and different types of thinking.
1: Did that also help you, like, with your expression? Did you see different ways for it to manifest in the
0: world? It did, but I would say, like, I always struggled with my own identity. And so, even before teen angst, like I was just kind of adopting things from different people. And I think that's kind of what you do, right? As a kid, you like, look at that. And you're like, Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna take a little bit from here, a little bit from there and kind of put it into your personality. Yeah. And so I I did a lot of that. And then like, when I was a teenager, obviously, there were like a lot of angsty phases. But I, I feel like the creativity was always there. But I wasn't sure who I was. So I had a hard time expressing my own personal creativity. And and I didn't really do much of that until I was an adult.
1: Ah, I see. So it was sort of just brewing in there.
0: I didn't know how to get it out. And I knew like, at least from my exposure, that like, being an artist wasn't really a viable career. You know, there was always just this starving artist persona. And then I didn't know that design really existed. So yes, my whole exposure to like anything creative was, you know, that's a hobby, but you have to get like a J-O-B, right? <laughs> right. Right.
1: Which is something that you and I continually fight the good fight against, that parental dissuasion against the creative arts. (laughs) Totally. So, okay, so you mentioned some angsty uh, chapters in your adolescence. What kind of angst, how did that, like, sort of play out? And how are you forming the adult version of yourself?
0: Oh, gosh, this is, like, the long... like psychological self-awareness stuff I'm going through now (laughs) that I'm in my 40s. So I'm trying to like unpack like, what happened? Why was I like that as a teenager? What does that mean? I'm going through a lot of that right now. So all of that shaped me as an adult. But what I think I'm trying to figure out now is like, what parts of those things do I want to have in my life? And how does that shape who I am today? And who am I (laughs) really is the big question always. Yeah. And which wires do you need to uncross?
1: Yeah. That's the business of adulthood, right? Is, is finishing the unfinished business of childhood. What did it look like when you were an actual teenager?
0: I was a hot mess <laughs> because I didn't, ha- I didn't like know who I was. And I went to Catholic school until eighth grade. So I got into high school, this big public high school. There were so many kids and they had all come from public middle school. But wait, you're, you're not Catholic. My mom went to Catholic school too, and my mom's family has like a Catholic background, but we weren't religious people. But I think it was something about like, you know, she went to Catholic school, so I went to Catholic school. I don't know if she thought it was like a better education or she didn't like the public schools. I actually never asked her this question, so maybe one day I will. But (laughs) yeah, she stuck me in Catholic school until eighth grade pubescent Jamie like hits high school and it's like what is this wow like you know this public high school and my brain explodes like technicolor (laughs) yeah and it was like around that time when I started like listening to Nirvana and Hole and like I was into the cure and I started to just like try to find myself as you do as an angsty teen and I went through like tons of phases I mean I was everything goth raver all of it And I kind of feel like they are all me, which is something that I'm learning as I'm an adult that I can be all of the things and that's okay.
1: Yes. You don't need to pick a specialty. Mm -hmm. You just need to be the complex cocktail that you are with all the notes and flavors. So what did all of this hot messery lead you to in terms of like going to college and thinking about your future? I know at some point in there, you
0: met Jordan, who turned out to be your lifelong partner. I guess for college, I was into writing. So I was trying to figure out how do I write for a living because I wanted to be a creative writer, but I knew that that probably wasn't like the first job you get out of the gate. So I was like editor of the literary magazine, and then I was editor of my literary magazine in college, and I majored in English and communications at Loyola. And for fun, I like to challenge myself, I took a a class in Japanese just to learn the Japanese language because I thought it was interesting and it was completely different from all my other classes. And I fell so much in love with it that I ended up transferring to Temple to be an Asian studies major with a focus on Japanese culture and language and a minor in East Asian art history, like a total left turn. But that was after a couple of years of English and communication. So I kind of felt like I had gotten enough of that and I wanted to move on to something more interesting.
1: And this was this propelled by just your curiosity and your love for Japanese culture? Or was this propelled by like a thought of what you might do with it and how you might change the world with your Asian
0: studies education? I think part of it was, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And the other part was, I am interested in this. I don't know why. I wanted to follow... A passion. I did have a passion for writing, but I was not very confident in my writing. I still thought I wasn't great, and I also found myself to be better at like coordinating things that are related to writing, like you do have a magazines. magical <laughs> gift for coordination. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, let me just follow this thing and see what happens. And my parents were super cool. Like they pretty much always told me to do whatever I wanted to do. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go and be this Asian studies slash Japanese major and see where that takes me. I had absolutely no plan. And looking back, I'm like really proud of myself for being so bold in my <laughs> choice. <laughs> but also like it was terrifying because I didn't know what kind of job I was gonna get.
1: You were flying blind, but you were also just, I'm sure, really engaged because you were so fascinated and interested in what you were learning. You graduate from Temple, and then what happens? And where's Jordan in all of this?
0: Jordan had finished up his degree when I graduated. So he he was in law school. And I end up getting this job at a small publishing company in southern New Jersey doing project management. And I was like, I don't know what project management is, but there's editing and writing involved. And they have a publication that's in Spanish, and they have a publication that's in Japanese. And those were two of the other languages that I'd studied. So I was like, cool, I might get to travel to these places. I might be able to brush up on my language skills while I'm there. And it's also publishing, which is related to English and communication. So I was like, this is the perfect job for me. Fast forward, (laughs) maybe about a year. I'm like, nope, I can't do this anymore. Why? What was that about? Well, first of all, I feel like the project management was perfect for me, but I just, Amy, I really struggle with working with other people. (laughs) And I'm super independent. And I think I was young and immature too, and didn't really understand how to work with other people. I grew up feeling like an only child. I like never really had to compromise with people or get along with people, even if I didn't want to these are all also like 40-year-old self-awareness, like tons of work on myself kind of realizations that I'm That's only what makes having recently. So <laughs> right, so like at some point I'm like, I can't work with people and I job hopped for a while and I just couldn't find a job that I liked. And finally I found a job where I felt like I had enough independence and I felt like people trusted my judgment and my decision-making and all of that. And it was so great and I really loved it. And then it kind of got a little stale. And I don't do well with that. I got to keep moving. I got to keep changing. So I was like messing around on the internet and discovered blogs. And that's kind of where my brain exploded again. Okay, foreshadowing. What year is this? 2006. Okay. Yeah. So early internet, but not so early, but like early enough. It's still my space time. There's websites like delicious, which was like a bookmarking yes, website. I remember it was so fun. <laughs> and live journals kind of teetering. Everybody's on MySpace. Everybody's launching blogs on blogspot, which turned into blogger. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. You know, I, I think I have something to say, but I'm not really sure what but like, I'm just gonna start a blog. I started a blog, I called it design milk. It was a ridiculous name. It was super silly. And I just started writing about things that I liked that I was finding on the internet. And that just happened to be a lot of art and design.
1: That's how it all got started, everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was a more glamorous story, but I was like bored at work. And I was like, I'm just going to launch this website.
1: (laughs) And so these are the things that you were just sort of interested in on the side anyway. You didn't really get started thinking this was a side hustle. You just wanted a different area to express yourself to keep your mind activated and your creativity going because you were feeling
0: bored at work. Yeah, I think that was it. But not too long after starting it, I started to see the potential. Oh, and I was like, oh, maybe I could do more of this. You know, this could potentially become something like a side hustle that makes a little bit of money here and there with, you know, Google ads or something like that. But I mean, Amy, you know me, I have a really hard time not turning anything into a hustle it's great, but it's also problematic. But like, in this case, it was great, because I really worked super hard on design milk. I mean, I I designed the whole site in the beginning, I learned about advertising online, like I, I taught myself HTML and CSS. And, you know, I did so much in the beginning, because I was so excited about it. And that was such an exciting time online, too. Because the community was really small as well. So like, you were, you know, everybody was commenting on each other's websites and Google Reader was just starting to become a thing. Yeah, it was a fun time.
1: So Design Milk is now 15 years in, so we need to walk through the major milestones. But there in the beginning, did you find when you started noticing the potential was that because your strategy brain kicked in? Or was that because you got some traction? Or was it a combination of both? And how much do you think timing played a role?
0: Oh, timing was huge. I wasn't launching something into a sea of blogs. This was a very early time. So I feel like being an early adopter was super important. If I would launched this today, I don't know where it would even exist, it probably wouldn't even be a blog, it would just be like a social profile or a TikTok or something <laughs> like that. Um, but there's already so many of those too. So it's like I would have had to launch the TikTok two years ago. I feel like timing was huge. There were less fish in the sea. And I also feel like I have to credit myself for my hustle, because I did work incredibly hard on it. But I also feel like, at some point, there was a shift in which I was like, this is fun. And then someone emailed me about putting their banner ad on my website. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I could make money from this. Like, it could really be a business. And then I started looking into blogs that were businesses. Ah. Um, And I started thinking about it like a magazine. That's kind of where things shifted. And at what point was it just growing
1: to be too much for Jamie Derringer alone. Did you quit your day
0: job first and before you actually had any team members or did you hire a team before you quit your day job? I did quit my day job before I hired a team. It was 2009 and I was just done. I credit my husband for being super supportive because I was like, hey dude, I'm going (laughs) to quit my job today. I'm going to just try this design milk thing full time and see where it goes. And At that point, it was making pretty decent money. So I feel like it wasn't as much of a risk. But yeah, he was super supportive. was like, go for it. That's when I quit my day job about two years later, I got pregnant. And I was like, Oh, I can't do this by myself anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I hired a couple of people. And that was the beginning. Um, One of the first people I hired was Caroline Williamson, who is our editorial director. She has been with the site for 10 years now. And I know that because I hired her right before I had my daughter and my daughter's turning 10. (laughs) Which is crazy to me too. that like, it's been 15 years. It's like really mind blowing that I've actually had like a steady thing.
1: Yeah, for somebody who went from like trying all different things on, you
0: like stuck with this for a long time. Yeah, but the coolest thing about it is it's always changed. Like everything's different. Every day is different. Every week is different. And that's what keeps it fun. It's never monotonous.
1: The other thing is your content area is creativity. And creativity itself is like this never ending fountain of fascination and and interest. So... You're in a good spot for it not to get boring.
2: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Clever is supported
1: by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. Hey, Clever listeners. We're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. So you quit your day job. You started hiring people. What are the like major milestones of
0: Design Milk's growth? The first one for me was quitting my job, <laughs> but that's a personal one. Mm-hmm. But I would say like expanding the team, so hiring our, our first people. So when Caroline came on, and that was uh, 2011, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of being like a new mom and being responsible for a human um, and like running a website. But it was a lot in the very beginning, even having people help out or hiring people. Design Milk feels kind of like my other child in a weird way. And I never really stopped moving with it. So I just kept on. And the the great thing about hiring people is I could step back and start thinking about the growth of the website versus the day-to-day management of it. And that continued on as we hired more people, you know, tech editor Gregory, we have V, v who's working on social media. She's our lifestyle editor now. So having more and more people come on and help with the different parts of the business and help it grow has been super critical. And now it's like 20 some people, which is blowing my mind.
1: (laughs) At this point, you're a pretty big blog is Instagram around yet?
0: Yeah, I can't remember when we started with most of the social media, but we were early adopters on most of the platforms. I wouldn't say like we were the first people, but we tried to sign up for everything as early as possible to get in. Yeah, so Instagram comes around, so we we expanded our Instagram with Design Milk Everyday, which is about products that you can buy, and then we've got Design Milk Travels. I mean, there's like six or seven Instagram accounts at this point, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, kudos to our social media manager for juggling all of those things.
1: <laughs> and and revenue is all coming in through ads and sponsored content, right?
0: Yeah. So at that point, it's all advertising. So in the beginning, it was all banner ads, and then it shifted to content. So now it's mostly sponsored content and partnerships. So other things we do, whether it's events or, you know, other things.
1: Well, that was where you sort of strategized taking design milk too was out into the IRL with the milk stand and such like that.
0: Yeah, so that's having the team now was great because I could take on a couple of bigger projects every year, and those would be sponsored events. And then Milkstand was actually one of the biggest milestones for us. I think it was 2015 or 2016. What happened with Milk Stand was ICFF had an opening for a, a pop-up shop. And this was like three weeks before the show. And so somehow I told the PR team that we would do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is, this, this is ridiculous. Yeah, this is what it's like to work with me. I'm like, hey. <laughs> we're going to do this thing. It's three weeks. We've got to find, you know, 12 people to come and sell their stuff. We've got this big space. It's going to be awesome. And somehow we pulled it off. And I think having this team help out with everything was really critical. You know, I can come up with ideas, but I certainly need the team to help execute everything. I mean, Milk Stand continued to grow. So we've had our uh, first few international shows. We did uh, Interior Design Show Toronto, and we did London Design Fair. So we've been all over the world, and, and only in a, a few short years.
1: So as you're diversifying the offerings and sort of adapting to the world around you as it's changing and growing and adding team members, the media landscape is also changing, you know, what's happening? Because magazines are are starting to tank around this time. And you had originally conceived of Design Milk as a, a magazine, a digital magazine, albeit. But how are you responding to like all the warnings and stuff that is happening in the media landscape?
0: I would say like 2011, 2012, magazines really started to hurt. And a lot of those ad dollars got shifted to digital. So we actually benefited quite a bit from that. And that was really awesome for us. It was disappointing to see some of my favorite magazines go under or, or, you know, be off the radar. But I, I feel like it really helped us. And being digital first, it was great during the pandemic, because we had always been online when other businesses were struggling to figure out how to bring their content online, we were already there. So Um, That was also beneficial for us. But the other thing that I think was an interesting time was like 2015, 2016, when I started to think about e-commerce. And that's one of the reasons why we launched Design Milk Every Day, because we wanted to test and see people's appetite for more accessible, affordable, modern design. On Design Milk, it's a lot of very expensive pieces or concept pieces. So Design Milk Every Day was a place where we could put Things that people could actually go online and click and buy. And Milkstand was part of that too, just kind of testing like pop up shop, where are things going? So I already had like one foot in there thinking about what's the future for design milk. And I always have felt that diversifying what you do is going to keep you going because if you have all of your eggs in one basket, what happens when there's a hole in the basket, Right, you know, (laughs) like, so I, I needed to diversify too. So I was always thinking, and that's why we also did more events, because we wanted to have, you know, IRL experiences with people. And that always helps with networking too. So being face to face with people is always great.
1: So then here you are with a bouquet of baskets with eggs in all of them, and then something major happens. And I want you to tell this story. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I've got all these baskets, <laughs> all these eggs, and I'm tired. <laughs> I'm like, I can't carry all these baskets. And also I was thinking like, what am I going to do? I'm by myself. I'm a, a single member LLC, right? I've got all these independent contractors. I, at some point, need to expand my business. And I don't know what that looks like. So I need to either hire more people or hire someone to help me run the company or get investors, or sell the company. And those were really my only options. Because at that point, I was tired, and I needed help. I think the universe just answered me, because I kind of gave myself a five-year plan. Like, in five years, I want to get one of these things figured out. But before I could even actively pursue anything, I just get a phone call from AHA Life, which is an uh, an online e-commerce store. That Design Milk had a long history of working with. Um, and the CEO had uh, turned over, and there was a new CEO in place, um, Robert Mancini. And he called me and he's like, Hey, I've heard all these great things about Design Milk. I know you've worked with Aha Life. What are you doing now? Could we work together? I'd, I'd love to hear more about our previous partnership. So, as we got talking, it was really exploratory. But he was really interested in the dog milk website that we had, which we ended up folding into design milk under the pets category. But it was all about dogs and design. Um, (laughs) And so we started talking about that. Two of my favorite things. (laughs) (laughs) So we started talking about that. And then I was at a trade show. And I get another phone call. He's like, Hey, what if we just bought all of it? I was like, Okay, I don't think I want to sell design milk. Like, I I really was at the point where I was like, yes, I want to get rid of it, but also, no, I don't want to get rid of (laughs) it. It's it's my my baby. baby. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to alleviate some of the pain points for myself, really, is what I wanted. So, when he said that, I was, my immediate answer was no. But deep down inside, and he got this out of me, (laughs) is, you know, I, I wanted to get rid of some pain points, but I still really loved design milk. Um, and wanted to be involved. So that's kind of what happened. And it it took a while. And it was a big process, even though we don't have any physical inventory or stores or anything, everything's digital, it still took a lot of time. But we got to the point where AHA Life acquired Design Milk. And that happened in March of 2019.
1: Whoa, okay. So March of 2019. I mean, I'm not pretending like I wasn't there with you when this happened. But at the same time, it's still a big deal. You've negotiated the acquisition, and then you had to fold Design Milk into a bigger corporation, sort of integrate the e-commerce more. You'd already sort of started it, but it needed to be more fully integrated in with Design Milk without losing any of the quality or variety of the content. And your work family went from like a few trusted confidants to like a whole slew of people that you had to get to know and become a leader of immediately. So like, what did all that look like?
0: So the first thing I said to Rob on the phone was like, I don't want design milk to just become this farm of links for products. And, you know, the products really need to be something we would write about anyway. And we need to continue to write about the things we've always written about. We wanted a media site and we wanted an e-commerce site. And we wanted both of those things to coexist and work together. And you can't really do that when one side is 90%. You're only focused 90% on one side and 10% on the other, right? Mm -hmm. So the important thing was to kind of get the right balance and the right mix. So that was the first part of you know the struggle to try to figure out how to do that. Um, the second part was merging our teams together. We went from like four or five people who were all over the place working from home to having an office in Columbus, Ohio with a team of people that none of us had ever met or worked with together. And we were trying to bring these two very different types of companies together to work together. So- I anticipated it would be difficult, but it was really, really hard. And I was also had just turned 40. So like 40 was like a big year for me. It was just like, you know, oh, my God, it's a milestone. And then on top of that, I I did this acquisition deal. And then we had this really difficult year. So like that first year was just personally and professionally overwhelming and exhausting and probably the hardest year of my life. But looking back, it was also kind of the best year and the most needed
1: year. Because it catapulted you from like like one level to the next? It
0: totally did. I had like an existential crisis. Like who am I without Design Milk? Because, you know, selling the company, you're selling the company. Yeah. You're not like merging. It's, It's really like they're taking it. So I had to come to terms with that? Like, what is that? What does that mean? And luckily, I named it design milk and not Jamie Derringer (laughs) for a reason, you know, I didn't want to be the star of the show. So it's okay with me, but I needed to figure out how to kind of detach myself from it. And I'm still working on that. But it's still like this phantom limb, you know, you still feel it, you still know, it's kind of there, even though it's not.
1: Yeah, in early childhood development, they call that individuation, I think, right? You had to like, design milk had to like form its own autonomous identity separate from you.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, your kid's going away to college. And you also have to accept that your kid is a whole person in and of itself, living and breathing by itself. And it's not you. And you can try to influence it, but you can't force it to do things. I had this whole moment where I was like, Wrecked emotionally. And then I had to go through all of this like professional, you know, these meetings with these people I never knew and all these ideas throwing at me. So I think that year was just really hard for me, but was so rewarding because I'm not a different person, but I feel like I've been through something that has changed me for the better.
1: Well, those growth spurts are like that. And it sounds like that's what it was, was a really intense growth spurt.
0: Yeah. And the other part of it that I am i can come full circle from the beginning of when I was miserable at my first job because I just couldn't work with people. I'm not like that anymore because I learned how to work with people. And that's super rewarding for me because now I don't feel like I have to do my own thing and only be the person who makes the decisions and runs the whole thing. It's kind of chipping away at the control freak part of my personality. It's still there. I mean, I'm still like a huge pain in the ass, um, ask anybody that I work with. (laughs) But obviously coming from a good place, I feel like I can see myself changing in the way I react.
1: Well, not to insert myself into your story, but if I'm correct, you and I formed our partnership before the acquisition, which I know for sure. So maybe I helped break the ice (laughs) in terms of you learning to work with people and share control.
0: That is probably true, because what I think is great about our partnership is you have strengths that I don't have. And I, I think both of us recognizing what we're good at and what we're not good at that we kind of fill each other's boxes or I don't know. I don't know what kind of metaphor you want to use, but that's exactly right. (laughs) Like it, it works really well. And I have people at design milk that are like that too. And so it's kind of me learning to delegate or trust other people to do X, Y, or Z, and also just navigating different types of personalities. And it's a beautiful thing because I think, I appreciate that everybody's different and not like me. And so I think once you also start to respect that about other people and take in their ideas and listen to them, that you could learn something new or, you know, like maybe they have a better idea than you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you and I have been there. You know how to deal with me.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, we do have to mention the origin of Clever at least a little bit. I don't want to get too meta here on this podcast, but Before we started Clever, I definitely had my antenna up for like-minded souls that I could collaborate with. And they also had, like, I think your hustle, like, spoke to my antenna directly. Because I think we kind of fell in business love at first sight, didn't we?
0: (laughs) It was business first and then the friendship after. (laughs) You know what it's like? It's like, (laughs) this is totally not related, but have you ever watched Married at First Sight?
1: Yes, I have. Okay. (laughs) Based on your recommendation. recommendation.
0: Yeah, (laughs) okay. So um, we need to know if anybody out there is watching it, but Married at First Sight pairs two people together with matchmakers, match them together, and then they get married like literally without ever having met. Um, and then they follow them along to see if they stay together. And so I think that was kind of like what we did. Kind of we weird, were like, let's, you just, <laughs> let's just do this thing. And we, we really hadn't even known each other that long. And we just like immediately trusted one another. And we were like, okay, let's do this. And then afterwards, we we're like, yeah, we want to stay together. We don't want to get a divorce. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we did have some herky jerky moments where we're just figuring out like your style and my style and our strengths, you know, and playing to our strengths. But that's what I think is so lovely and organic about this particular partnership, which is a separate baby of yours than Design Milk and and mine. We're co-parents of this baby. We're both so invested in it that we had to become self-aware in order to make the partnership work.
0: Yeah. And I think that your friendship has helped me tremendously in that area, both professionally and personally. So thank you, Amy. I love you,
1: Jamie. <laughs> okay. Now let's get into your creative process. I want to talk about your creative process in media. You've already said you're really good at coordinating things and project managing. But how do you approach slash dream up the ideas and the strategy? Like, How does that ferment in your soul and manifest?
0: Everything I come up with creatively is either something that I think would be fun to do or something that I think I would enjoy. As a consumer, whether it's a consumer of media, whether it's a buyer of of goods on an e-commerce website, or just interacting on social media, I just try to figure out what people want to engage with, and then go from there. That applies to media and e-commerce, because ultimately, it's all about marketing, right? So just figuring out what are the marketing moves that are going to compel people to either read something or be interested in something or subscribe or buy, whatever it is that they are going to do. It's like, how do you make that experience fun and interesting or informative? And how do you make it so that they want to share it with other people? And that has always been my thought process behind all the creative stuff.
1: And just to get more granular with that, what is the thought process? Like, are you decoding psychology? Are you just paying attention to like the ebb and flow of attention spans?
0: I think it's because I'm a consumer of the internet myself. Yeah. So I really think it's germinating inside of me as a consumer of visuals or goods or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking, what would I want? Yeah. And then there's times when I'm on the phone and I'm like, you know, it would be a cool idea if we did this. And it just comes out of brainstorming and riffing off of what other people are saying. So sometimes it just happens during a a phone call when we're all just trying to figure out what we should do next. I love those. Those are such fun surprises. Mm -hmm.
1: When you don't have to like muscle through trying to work up a brilliant idea, but they just sort of drop in your lap. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it happens a lot. And sometimes I have to rein myself in because I'm like, we can't do this. (laughs) Like I I can only do so many things in 24 hours and I'm only human. And we have a team like we can't do everything all at once with the team that we have.
1: You can do anything you want to do, but you can't do it all at the same time. Right. <laughs> You're an artist as well. Can you tell me about what media you work in, what holes it fills in your life, and what your process looks like in that sphere of your world?
0: I started drawing in 2006, the same year that Design Milk was born. <laughs> um, it was one of my most creative years. I had a little bit of a creative renaissance recently, too, because I've moved from drawing and painting into more physical objects. I've been tufting, which is like you get this punch needle gun. It's like a machine Mm -hmm. and drive the yarn into fabric and make it into different shapes and stuff. And I think I'm just scratching the surface of what's possible with it, but it's super fun. And I like it because it's physical. Like Drawing is great because I can sit in front of my TV and watch Netflix and draw. Painting is is also really fun, but the the tufting it's super physical, and like my arm is sore at the end of the day. And I I can see my work, and and, and I can it's I tangible know, and touch results it. of your creativity. Yeah, like Welcome to making, and baby. Fun.
1: I could have told yeah, you this I years know. ago.
0: <laughs> I do love it. So I'm mostly drawing. I'm doing a little bit of painting, and then quite a bit of of tufting. But painting's been a struggle for me, so I'm still kind of trying to navigate that. The other thing I was doing too this year was digital art. So I've, I've been learning some programs and um, writing some code, which is really cool. Yeah. So I'm learning all kinds of cool new things. And it's just, I don't know, I'm having like a creative brain explosion this year, which is really great and exciting.
1: Oh God, don't get near. You're going to get shrapnel, brain shrapnel on you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you had mentioned the birth of your daughter 10 years ago. Obviously, that's a big milestone in your life. And you've yeah. been a mother for 10 years now. I know it's a challenge. I'm not a parent myself, but I'm not stupid. I mean, I see I see the challenges that uh, my parents went through and that my friends that are parents go through. But I also see how it enhances people. And I guess that's what I'm interested in from you. I never knew you before you were a mother, So what would you say, like, how has your character or your personality or your being been enhanced by motherhood?
0: The first shift I noticed was I came face to face with my own mortality. And that is huge. It's kind of like having a near-death experience. As you watch this person grow, you realize that they're going to go to your funeral. And you realize that they're going to lose someone they love. And that's really hard, you know, that you're going to die like one day, you know, and it it just becomes more, I don't know, life just becomes more vibrant and more interesting and more exciting, but also time becomes so much more precious. I mean, the only thing we really have in this world is time. Who cares about money? Who cares about success? Time and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Time with people you love.
1: Well, it's a good thing your daughter turned out so fucking cute. (laughs) She's awesome.
0: She's very creative, too, which is good.
1: Just to get sort of deeper into this existential line of questioning, you mentioned you've been doing a lot of like self-reflection and self-growth lately, which I think is you're right on time. That's the important thing to do because you're not stagnating or remaining stuck. But... What for you is like the growth edge? Like, where are you growing right now?
0: Well, like I said before, my self-awareness is increasing on a daily basis. So that's a really interesting new thing. I think before I felt very, not robotic, but just kind of going through the motions and never really stepping back to look at myself and look at myself in the grand scheme of things and then look at my relationships with others That is part maturity and just part like spiritual work.
1: Do you think the hustle was in any way a distraction or an avoidance of that, looking at that?
0: I do. And I talk a lot about this (laughs) with my therapist. (laughs) Yeah, it was. But like, I also feel like it was a survival mechanism for me that I needed at the time. And I feel really grateful for it because it set me up nicely to feel secure in a job. I mean, 15 years doing the same thing is like a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing. And I'm really grateful for that.
1: Just even becoming aware of our survival mechanisms and getting to the point where you can have appreciation for them, but also a kind of perspective that helps you know, like whether they're serving you in all instances or not, and like when to employ them or not employ them is, I think, a really powerful place to get to. You had mentioned something about spiritual growth too is but you were never really a religious person. So what kind of spirituality are you growing into?
0: I'm doing a lot of meditation and that really helps me connect with who I am. I talked earlier about like struggling with my own identity. I think that the acquisition and when I turned 40, it like forced me to confront myself and say, like, who, who am I? Think about who am I without design milk? You know, who am I as a person? That work has been ongoing for like two years, just trying to figure out who I am without all of the things that are physical attachments or personal belongings or whatever, like, you know, who am I when I'm alone in a dark room? Figuring that out is, is really eye-opening do you see any similarities to
1: the young Jamie Derringer hot mess who was alone in a dark room, like writing poetry and listening to
0: Nirvana? I'm reconnecting with that person. (laughs) She's probably pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, she's really cool, but she doesn't have confidence, but now I have the confidence. So I'm connecting like I'm the adult Jamie with more confidence connecting with that angsty teen writing poetry it's becoming like this beautiful thing that I'm watching happen. I mean, it's not overnight, but it's um, it's something I'm working toward. And I, I feel really good about it.
1: Well, I feel good about it, too. That leads me to my next question, which is where are you projecting yourself in the future? I mean, after a year like 2020, we know that plans can sometimes just be pointless or ridiculous. <laughs> like they all go out the window as soon as like the world changes rapidly. But also you had a great amount of success before when you were without a plan in terms of finding your way to Japanese studies and just starting design milk without a plan. So clearly you're good at adaptation. That will always be a superpower. So with that in mind, what does a super adaptive bionic Wonder Woman future Jamie Derringer look like? And what kind of world does she want to build and foster?
0: I love this question. This is my least favorite question is where do you see yourself in five years? (laughs) That's the worst question. (laughs) Because I don't look too far into the future. Being a project manager, you're always planning. But the greatest part of what I've learned about planning is your plans always get fucked up. (laughs) So you need to plan for fucked up plans. Uh So that's what I do. I think about what I where I want to go and what I want to do. But I focus more on the journey and then I course correct as things change. And I think that's a good project manager, but it's also a good life lesson because you're never going to have a perfect week where everything goes your way. There's always going to be a random thing that happens. You know, your kid falls off their scooter and breaks their wrist and then you end up at the ER for three or four hours. (laughs) That kind of stuff really happens in life. So you have to plan for that stuff. Did she get her cast off yet? (laughs) She did. (laughs) Yeah, she's doing good. But these things just happen. So it was the perfectionist in me that expected everything to go as planned. And it always did when I was in charge. (laughs) But now, what I'm learning is that when other people are in charge, I defer to their leadership and their expertise. I do what I can on my side, but I can course correct really easily when things don't go as expected that's the beauty of being able to work with a team.
1: Well, that sounds wonderful. And if you could have some influence over how our world changes towards something, what direction would that be?
0: Well, having a child is a huge responsibility. So clearly anything I'm learning, I want to impart that knowledge on my daughter, because she's the future generation. So the decision she makes will carry on through the future so that that's a huge part of it i don't think we put enough like emphasis on the responsibility of parents and parenting as like a giant role in shaping the future it it's, is you know yes I, I can do what i can do now but i'm going to be dead in how many years and she's going to carry t- on whatever quit i talking teach her about dying. right okay <laughs> sorry i sorry it's a it's a real thing people <laughs> die no but uh, i also feel like in my tiny circle I can do what I can do, right? I can make small changes in my life or small suggestions to our business on things we can do to change how we do things in order to allow for more opportunities to be more inclusive. That's been huge for us. Something that we really care a lot about at Design Milk. I'm such a hippie, Amy. (laughs) Like deep down inside, I just want everyone to love one another it's it's really weird but like that's where i've gotten to in my life i see so much struggle and so much division and i'm i'm really at the point where it's heartbreaking to watch and also it's it's hard to not want to save everyone and help everyone and fix all the problems of the world
1: part of what it all is is recognizing the corrosiveness of the lack of love and then just trying to move everything toward love Not to sound corny, but I think it's really kind of that simple.
0: (laughs) It is that simple, I think. It's a lot of love.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we got a lot of love here between you and me. What's next for Design Milk? Well, Design
0: Milk has, let's see, it's 15 years this year, so we're celebrating our anniversary. So we've got a lot of great content up on the site where we're looking back at some of the highlights and our favorite moments, um, some of our most popular posts. We are also doing some collaborative products on the shop. So that's coming up soon. For the future, it's still the same way I feel about my personal future, where like we're an internet based company and the internet changes all the time. So we're small enough and flexible and agile to be able to adapt to any kind of thing that's thrown at us. You know, we just went through a pandemic and. You know, I feel like we did a good job navigating that. So I I would just see us continuing to change and adapt with what's new and next, you know, online. Stretchy, flexible. (laughs) Squishy. I mean, you have to be, right? Uh, You don't want to be left behind. I'm looking forward to seeing what Design Milk becomes. You know, it's been two years since the acquisition. Rob is our CEO. Um, I have a great partnership with him. And I I feel like he understands the vision that I originally had for Design Milk and that he's adding all of this extra awesome stuff on top. And I think he'll steer us in the right direction.
1: Well, that also gives you confidence, doesn't it? To know that you're
0: Partnerships are solid, and
1: it's because you're building these really foundational relationships.
0: Yeah, it's super important to me, too, because Design Milk isn't called Jamie Derringer, right? So now that it's all these other people and that we have a CEO, that's not me, it'll be great to see how it continues to expand and and grow. Just like when your baby
1: grows up, oh, my God, Design Milk's going to get a boyfriend. Then what are you going to do? Oh, no.
0: (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, so much of our day to day operations are like pretty much about getting our business done. But whenever we get a chance to stop and I get to gaze upon your beauty and (laughs) learn more about you, it always makes me just so happy that we're doing this together.
0: Yeah, this is great. I'm so glad that we got to talk some more, and I I feel like Design Milk being 15 years old it's it's a huge milestone, and it's a milestone for me personally too. Because other than being married to my husband, I've never done anything consistently for 15 years. So I feel like I need to give myself a small (laughs) round of applause for sticking it out for so long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and your daughter's at 10 years. You better keep her to 15 at least. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I think she's good. She's pretty independent now. She could survive on her own. without me. So I've, I've done my job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, Jamie Derringer. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To see images of Jamie's work and read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app, or go to cleverpodcast.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and do us a favor and rate and review. It really does help us out. We also love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast and you can find me at Amy Devers. Clever is produced by 2 in Media with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Ilana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011.